Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian Long. I am the Minister of Discipleship and Outreach here at the church. It's good to be here. Today is my first time uh, sharing with you all. It is also on the subject of money. It is also Kids Sunday, and my in-laws are in town. <laughs> so just a normal day at the office. It's, it's all good, but uh, no, it is good to be here. In fact, you know, we've been thinking through today's topic is on uh, fear and, and anxiety and things like that. And in fact, public speaking actually is one of the biggest uh, fears that people have. In fact, there was a time in which public speaking was the number one fear, ranking just higher than death itself. Which means that if you went to a funeral, you'd actually prefer to be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. Which doesn't make a lot of sense, but people just have fears. That was the question we asked. What is your irrational fear? The things that just kind of uh, drive you crazy, even though it's not necessarily fear of everyone. I know the King's kids who are in the attendance today, they've been talking about fear and anxiety downstairs, and they've been looking at different phobias and learning some of the words of the different phobias. And so a few of them, they've been learning um, uh, ergophobia, which is the fear of work, which some of you all might have. The fear of work is ergophobia. They've been learning about aquaphobia, which is the fear of water, which a lot of people have. That makes a lot of sense. And then you get funnier ones. They've been learning about uh, oikophobia, which is the fear of household appliances. I, I don't, I'm not sure where in your childhood you've got that regressed memory, but some people have that. There is chlorophobia, which is the fear of clowns. Now this one I understand. My grandparents, my grandmother particularly growing up, Grandma Long, she um, collected clowns and clown figurines. So when we went to visit her, we had to stay in the guest room, and that's where she kept all the figurines. So my brother and I would go to sleep with like hundreds of clowns staring at us. And so I know right where my regressed childhood fear comes from. It's Grandma Long's guest house. It just kind of freared me up. Here's another one. There's Kleinmortophobia, which is the fear of zombies. Now, I don't mean like the fear of like the scary faces. It means like the real fear that a zombie apocalypse is going to happen and people are going to run around. In fact, a Wilkerson College, which is a legit a college with a legit study, they did a fear study in 2015 and found that 8.5% of people have some degree of this fear. Which means statistically in this room, there's about a dozen of you that have some sort of fear that this is actually going to happen. Please see me in the back afterwards. I want to pray for you. Um, it's it's going to be okay. So we have all these kind of funny fears, and like you said, you put them all on, your, uh, on yours, well, sort of the things that you might be scared of. But there are some fears that aren't so funny. One that I found that I think is uh, very true is the, uh, there's chromatophobia, which is the fear of money or the fear of not having enough money. And we can laugh at zombies and we can laugh at clowns, but this one actually hits home for most of us, the fear of money. Now, I moved around a lot as a kid. As I watched my parents plant and revitalize churches in all sorts of different states and different places, and I witnessed firsthand my parents saying yes to Jesus at their own financial cost, and I remember there were times when we were growing up, and my parents did a very good job of kind of keeping this from us, and they didn't make it a big deal. But just as kids, you can tell when money's tight. You just kind of have this sense that there's a little more stress in the air. There's a little bit, th uh, there's a little bit more, uh, there's something going on. And I knew there were times in my parents' ministry and us as a family where things were tight. And this, this phobia would, 
would certainly rise in all of us. Now, kids, if you're here this morning, do you have uh, things that your mom says to you over and over again to the point where you're just like, yeah, that's mom, she says it. Now, some of them are private. Don't share those things with anyone else. But there are other things that it's just sort of a mom saying, right? And mom says it all the time, things like, I love you, or brush your teeth, or get your finger out of your nose. You know, there's all sorts of these things that that's just something mom says, right? Well, one thing that I know my brother and I, we always remember about my mom and something she uh, said that we'll just, we'll never forget is when these moments came up, when things were tight and we just sensed that something was in the air, my mom would close her eyes and she'd say, you can't outgive God. I don't know if you've remembered this saying or if you heard that saying growing up, but my mom would say that over and over again. It's what you're first filling today in the bulletin. You can't outgive God. Now, what she didn't mean was some health and wealth, sow a seed and reap a financial reward sort of thing. The lie that we've been told that you give to God and God will give you more and abundantly. That's not what she meant by that. What she meant is that when you say yes to Jesus, everything you need will be given to you as well. That when you say yes to Jesus, everything that you need will be given to you as well. Because you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Let's flip over to our passage this morning because Jesus deals with this very specifically in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, grab it. If you don't, there are Bibles in your pews right in front of you. Feel free to grab that. We'll be reading from NIV, so we'll all be on the same page. Kids, if you want to play along too, uh, you're sitting with your parents, have them uh, show you where to go so that you can read along with us. But we'll be in Matthew chapter 6. Take a look, uh, uh, get there, and we'll read. We'll start reading in verse 24. This is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. In this section, he begins to talk about this worry and anxiety we have when it comes to money and finances and possessions. And he says this, excuse me, starting in verse 25. He says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will not much more clothe you. O oh, you of little faith, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. So when we read this passage, the first thing that really should jump out to you is we start with the word, therefore. And just whenever you're reading a, a passage of Scripture, whenever you get to a section that starts with, therefore, 
you should always read uh, the passage before it because therefore it's always telling you the practical implication of a truth that was said previously. So therefore, I want to tell you, so here's a truth, therefore you should do this. So in order to understand why we should be doing this, therefore we need to go backward and actually see the truth that was communicated beforehand, then we'll understand kind of the, the real context behind the passage. So we actually need to go up a little bit. And so we're going to start in actually in verse 19 to give us the full context of the picture. Verse 19 says this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, and now we move into it. This is very important to see. So Jesus is talking about thieves and moths and vernons and good eyes and bad eyes and masters and, and service. He uses all these images together, but I think it's important we understand, particularly the one in the middle. You see, each language has idioms, sort of figures of speech that we use that we don't literally mean what we're saying. There's actually something kind of behind what we're saying. Kids, it's like when we say um, it's raining cats and dogs, right? We don't literally mean that pets are falling from the sky, right? That'd be really silly and funny, right? It's like, no, of course we don't mean that. We mean that it's raining really heavy. That's an idiom we use or a phrase that we use just to communicate sort of that the rain is falling really hard. Well, we actually find a Jewish idiom here. Back in Jesus's day, they would use this term good eye to actually mean something very different. You see, in the Hebrew understanding, to see meant literally to see, like I see my hand in front of my face. But it also meant to see the needs of others. So that when you say, I see you, it was more than just I physically, I literally see you. It meant I, I see you. I understand you. I get what's going on. I understand where you're coming from. And, and if I can help you, I will. And so out of this understanding, this idiom came up of having a good eye. And if you were someone that had a good eye, it meant that you were generous. It meant that you gave to the poor. It meant that you could see the needs of others and then you would respond appropriately, even if it cost you greatly in the end. They would say, ah, he or she has a good eye. On the other end, if you weren't generous, if you were stymie, if you were stingy, if you saw needs and yet didn't respond, people would go, oh, that guy, he, he's got a bad eye. And so this is a saying that was actually a real saying back in Jesus' day that people wanted to have good eyes and people were described as good eyes and bad eyes uh, in this sense. Actually, we see this in other places. I'd love to show you. If you flip over again, we'll play a little game with the kids. Flip over to Proverbs. Keep your finger right there in, in uh, Matthew. But Proverbs is in the Old Testament, so you're going to go to the left a little bit. If you need help, the table of contents is right there in the front. But we're going to flip over to Proverbs for a sec, because I want you to really grasp this idea of good eye versus bad eye in places that we see it other, in other ways. Now, the Old Testament was written in the language of the Hebrew language, 
Okay, so when we read it in English, translators who were much smarter than any of us took the Hebrew and actually translated it into English for us. And oftentimes what uh, English translators will do is when they come across idioms like this, they won't literally translate the literal, what literally is written in the Hebrew, they'll translate it the way we would understand it. So it'd be like us trying to translate the, the, the example of raining cats and dogs, right? Most people, if they were going to translate in another language, they would just say rain heavily so that they would understand so there wasn't any confusion that, again, literally pets aren't falling from the sky. And so that's what our English translators do oftentimes in the Bible. They won't tell us what literally the Hebrew said, but they'll give us kind of the, the gist of it. They'll give us the understanding behind it. But I want us to see this in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 22, if you flip, sorry if I didn't give that to you early enough. Proverbs 22. In verse 9. So Proverbs is a book, a collection of these wise sayings that were accumulated together. And so we see all sorts of these little sayings, these little, uh, little piffy sayings that give us great insight into the world. So Proverbs 22, 9 says this. In your Bible, in the NIV, it'll say, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. But if you were to look at it in the Hebrew and literally word for word translate it, it would read, the good eye will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. It would say it, it's, it's the good eye. It doesn't say generous. It says the good eye. The translators just help us by putting the word generous in. But we see that, that idiom right in there. Just flip a few chapters to the right. Uh, Proverbs 28. Just a few pages to the right. Proverbs 28, 22 says this. The stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits for them. Again, in the Hebrew, literally it reads, the one with the evil eye. The one with the evil eye. So we have good eyes and we have bad eyes, all to mean how you respond to others, how generous you're going to be. So Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Or tre treasures on earth, that's what I mean. That's <laughs> the other. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where rust and moth will come, vernons will, will come and get it, uh, thieves will steal. Don't have a bad eye. Have a good eye. Don't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Therefore, and then he moves on. When I was a kid, in a moment of parental genius, my father decided he was going to teach me the value of giving back and to be charitable and generous and give to God. And so he gave me every Sunday, he gave me a dollar bill. And he instructed me to put the dollar bill in the offering plate as it went by. My father giving me a gift that is not mine with the expectation that then I would then in turn give it away. And for a while, I did just that. I'd take my dollar, and the plate would come by, and I'd stick it in, and that would all be good. Until one day, I realized I could put the dollar in there, or I could keep the dollar. And that's what I did. So every week, the, the plate would come by, and I'd put it in and take it back out, and I'd stick it in my pocket. I'd then go home, and I'd stuff it under my mattress. Now, kids, I do not suggest this. This is not, this is not a good example here. But I would do that week after week, month after month, 
until finally my dad, for some reason, was in my room and saw a bill hanging from out of my mattress and lifted up and found about $20 worth of $1 bills stuffed under my mattress. He was not happy. <laughs> I had a bad eye. I had a bad eye. Therefore, the context of our passage isn't to calm anxiety in general. Oftentimes, this passage is used for any type of anxiety or any type of thing, and we try to apply this passage in this context. That's not, the, that's not what this is saying. Really, the context of the passage isn't even um, financial worry in general. The context assumes, this is your next fill-in, the context assumes your anxiety is coming out of your generosity. What the passage is trying to deal with is when you are giving generously, you might feel the pinch. You might feel the scare. Or if you're deciding, do I give or do I not? I don't know. My finances aren't totally in order. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. The context assumes that the anxiety that you're experiencing with, that the anxiety that Jesus is dealing with in this passage is coming out of your generosity. And that out of that, Jesus wants to say something for you. That you won't store up for yourself treasures on earth. That you won't serve two masters. That you won't have a bad eye. And then out of your generosity, Jesus comes and he puts his arm around you and he says, don't worry. Don't worry. Those with a good eye know that you can't outgive God. That you can't outgive God. Now, what's interesting about now our passage this morning is some of the examples Jesus uses to kind of make his point. He uses three major examples. He says, don't worry about what you will eat, about what you will drink, and about what you will wear. And I find this interesting because I asked the question, why did Jesus choose those three? Because he could have chosen others. He could have chosen shelter or employment or some other possession. And yet, Jesus specifically uses these three. And I don't think that's by accident. I think what Jesus is doing here is uh, kind of implementing a, a Jewish teaching method called remez. Now, remez is when you say one thing, but you're actually meaning something very deep underneath it. Let me give you an example. If you were hanging out with a bunch of Buffalo Bills fans and everyone was having a good time, maybe you were watching the game, and then someone made a mistake, right? You're all watching the game and someone's made the mistake and then you heard a buddy of yours say, huh, there's wide right Bill, right? If you were a Bills fan and you hear the term wide right, you know what that means, right? I see some heads nodding. You know what, you know, that means something to us. And if you don't know what it means, kids, ask your parents when you get home. If you don't know, and if you don't, parents, if you don't know, ask or Google it some other time. This is a safe space, so we're not getting into that right now. This is a, this is a peaceful, safe place, so we're not, we're not going there. But when we use the term wide right, it just literally means a direction, but it means so much more to us, right? So if you're a Jewish here and you're listening to Jesus and Jesus is preaching and teaching and then he says, do not worry about what you will eat and what you will drink, that would begin to ring all sorts of red, red flags and bells would go off in your head because you would think back, instinctually, you would think back to your ancestors, your people who were called out of Egypt into the wilderness 
to learn trust in God. And what were the two main things they grumbled about? What they were going to eat and what they were going to drink. And they had to learn day after day to trust God in the wilderness so God would send manna from the heavens each day. And they were not allowed to store up this manna. They could not keep manna from one day to the next. It would rot before the next day came. They had to collect just enough for that day, waiting for the bread to come the next day. And so in the wilderness, they began to learn trust, not to have anxiety. They said yes to Jesus. They said yes to God. And now they were moving towards the promised land, and they had to learn in the wilderness to trust God for their daily bread. And they were thirsty. They're in the desert. And so God provides some miraculous ways for them to get water, one of which is that they'd strike literally a rock. And out of this rock, water poured from them. And so when Jesus says, don't worry, be generous, say yes to God. Don't worry what you will eat and what you will drink. If you were, if you were a listener back in that day, you'd go, I, I know this story. I've heard this. There's bells going off here. I get this. I know what's happening here. And clothing is actually also interesting because one of the ways that we, we think back to clothing, what they would have thought back to is, is Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve sin, they, have, they, they eat the forbidden fruit, they're cast away, and it says that God clothed, clothed them in the skin of animals. It's actually the first time we see a sacrifice happening. Something dies so that they could be clothed. And the imagery is, is that when Christ dies... When Christ sacrificed, we are now clothed. The New Testament writers do this all the time. Uh, we are clothed in Christ. We're clothed in Jesus. So the idea of clothing to someone back in those days would ring all sorts of bells too of sacrifice and, and being clothed and warmed and protected from that. So Jesus uses these three and people would be like, okay, yeah, I get that. I understand what's happening with this. Jesus referring back to it's our turn now to learn the same lessons our forefathers learned back in the day. But what's really interesting is that Jesus actually pushes it further. And I think he uses these three uh, uh, very intentionally because then he uses them again in other places in the Gospels to have more meaning. So again, we're going to do a little more flipping uh, here today, but flip over to John, John chapter 6. So just a few, uh, few books to the right. John chapter 6. Let's see what Jesus is doing here, because what I think what Jesus is doing here is he's now actually extending this to go beyond just simply your physical needs. Jesus is now going to push this further and say, yes, you, you, you shouldn't worry about your physical needs, but actually I want to redefine what it means to have a need in the very first place. What is it that you actually need? So in John chapter 6, starting in verse 27, he says this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. For the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. Again, they know this story. They understand it. Manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from the heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry again. Jesus says, there's bread, yes, and you need it, and I understand that. But let's redefine what you really need. Just flip one page to the right, John 7. One page to the right, John 7, starting in verse 37. He's at a festival that's celebrating the time when Jesus provided them water in the desert. And so this festival is all about pouring buckets and gallons of water all over the place. It was this festival that was totally focused on water. And so on the last and greatest day, it says, starting in verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him would later receive. Come to me, all of you who are thirsty. Later on he says in another point, don't run after the water that will just leave you thirsty again, but come after the water that will leave you satisfied for eternal life. Eating and drinking, what do we need? We need those things. But Jesus pushes it farther to say, what you really need is me. I'm the bread, and I'm the water. I won't have you flip there, but let me read Galatians chapter 3 for the clothing, just to give you a good sense of this. So Paul writes in Galatians 3, So in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ, eating and drinking and clothing. I think Jesus is using these intentionally to say there is a need, but there's a need beyond the need. We have physical needs, but there's a need of the soul, and that one will satisfy like nothing else. So yes, do not worry. When you say yes to Jesus, when you have a good eye, when you give generously, do not worry, because the Father knows you need them. But I'm going to take it a step further to say what you really need is me. This became real to me as we were going through the house buying process for the last few months. In the middle of our mortgage process, we ran into complications from our past income. We were uh, uh, church planters, and so we were support raised. And so when we go to a bank to say, here's our income over the last two years, they go, what is this? <laughs> who, what's up, my who? And I can't, where are your W-2s? I don't, I don't have any. I, people were generous to me. People had good eyes for us and believed in what we were doing. And so there were a lot of complications that went through that. And there were times of real great stress and anxiety Ask Molly, she'll tell you. <laughs> there were times on my couch at night where I just said, I, I, don't, I don't think this is going to happen. I seriously questioned whether we would get approved and we'd get in there at all or if the whole thing would fall through. 
And my prayers often were these prayers of God, um, please give us the house. God, we want the house. God, you know, give it to me. I, I'd like it. You know, don't we deserve it? You know, we just planted a church for you, right? For, for four years. We, we deserve now the house. Now, God, please give it to us. Please give it to us. But as time went on, and God began to soften my heart, and God began to speak to my spirit, my prayers began to change. And I began to pray prayers like, Instead of, God, uh, give us the house, my prayers slowly, because of him, not because of me, but because the Spirit came and was softening my heart, my prayers began to be things like, God, we don't need this house. You didn't promise it to us. If this whole thing fell through, that would be okay, because you are a shelter from the storm. Not something that would rot not something where moss and vernon would destroy or where thieves would break in and steal, but you are our shelter. But God, I would say, you called us here. We said yes, and so we're trusting that you will provide something for us to be here. It doesn't have to be this house. It could be something else. But ultimately, God, you are our shelter, not something that will break down and be destroyed Thieves will break in, moss will, it, it will all rot. But what we really need is you. That's what we need. And eventually we got the house. But even if we didn't, even if it fell through and we were asked to live in a much tougher situation, he would have given us everything we needed. Because you cannot give God. I'm going to invite the band up as we finish up. Do you have a good eye? I question that all the time. God, do I, do I have a good eye? Do I have kind of like a half good, like one good and one bad? How, do, how does this work? Or does my fear and my anxiety keep me from saying yes to Jesus? Because in the end, aren't we all just kids stuffing dollar bills in our mattress? Isn't that what we all are? Just like... I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't trust you, God. I'm just going to keep it here, keep it for a good, good place. We're so tempted to be that kid that just stuffs the dollar bills under our mattress. But what God is calling us to is this radical generosity. And when we do that, we get an abundance of Jesus who comes alongside us and puts his arm around our shoulder and says, don't worry we're going to do this. We're going to make it. You can't outgive me. I will provide you everything you need. And if we were to own that, that struggle, if we were be willing to be honest about like this good eye and bad eye and what one am I, if we were able to own it, if we were able to name it, if we were able to make space for it, it gives God room to start a transformational work in us where we can finally admit your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. So by your grace, God, you physically sustain us, and we thank you for that. And by your grace, you even give us good gifts that aren't necessary, and we thank you for those. But in the end, your grace is enough for me. Pastor Milo shared last week, one thing that um, was really drew, drew me to this church was just 
they say that if you want to look at a church's priorities, look at their budget. Look at their budget. See where the resources are going, and that will give you a pulse for the heart of this church. So when I was considering coming and what we were going to do and where we were going to go, I looked at the budget, and I was blown away by the amount of giving this church does, the percentage of our budget that goes out. I mean, it's, it's more than I've seen in just about every church I've ever seen. It's incredible. And it was one thing that really I was very excited about, one thing that I loved about this place, is the desire to see our resources go out. But in order to do that, we have to be a congregation who has good eyes. We have to be a congregation that says, even in the midst of our worry and our anxiety and our phobias, that we would recognize that you can't outgive God, that your grace is enough, that Jesus is all we need, and that he will give us everything we need. And he will radically redefine that need for us to satisfy the desires of our heart and our soul, things that possessions can never do. So we have to be a congregation that has good eyes and allow Jesus to put his arm around our shoulder and hug in close and say, don't worry. We're going to make it. So may you say yes to Jesus. May you lay down your fears and anxiety. And may you trust that everything you need will be given to us as well because you can't outgive God.